Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The Old Testament lesson for today is from 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, verses 17 through 23. This can be found on page 457 of your Pew Bible. The people of Judah suffered the consequence of their rebellion against God when God handed them over in exile to the Babylonians. A reading from 2 Chronicles chapter 36, beginning with the 17th verse. Therefore, He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, All these he brought to Babylon, and they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now, in the first year of of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord, his God, be with him. Let him go up. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. I recently visited one of my nieces and her family back home in Annapolis, Maryland. She has an amazing husband, and she has two adorable boys. Adam is five years old, and Thomas is seven years old. And whenever I go down to Annapolis to visit them, I have such an amazing time with the boys. But this one particular visit, Thomas, the seven-year-old, he was pretty rambunctious. For whatever reason, he kept throwing his crayons across the room, despite his mother's repeated warnings not to throw the crayons. Again and again, she'd warn him, but he'd throw them anyway. So after a number of failed warnings, His mother finally gets out the big guns. 
she calls Thomas's dad. Thomas's dad comes in and tells Thomas, if he continues to throw the crayons, he would have to go to timeout. Well, you may have guessed it. Thomas just hurled those crayons right across the room again, despite his father's warning. His mom comes in and says, Thomas, as promised, you have to go to timeout. She took him to the timeout corner and said, you have to sit here until I tell you to get up. Despite all the warnings from his mother, despite the warnings from his dad, Thomas didn't listen. And sadly, little Thomas ended up in timeout, separated from his parents, separated from his little brother that he loved so much, separated from all the things that he loved. Now, there's good news, that after several minutes, Thomas was permitted to leave timeout. He was reconnected with his parents, his brother, the things he loved, and including his crayons. Praise God for little Thomas. Now, our text today surrounds the tumultuous relationship between God and his people. Under the leadership of several evil kings, God's people were simply led astray. God repeatedly warned the Israelites to stop worshiping idols. He invited them to return back to him, but they continued to ignore God's warnings. They mocked God's messengers. They despised his words, and they even scoffed at his prophets. They simply refused to heed God's warnings. Ultimately, Because of their repeated refusal to obey and to return to God, God delivers them into the hands of the Babylonians. Saints, this is time out to the 10th degree for Israel. God didn't just sit them in a corner for a few minutes. No. God sat them in a foreign country in captivity as slaves for seven decades. Seventy years. Now that's a timeout. Over and over again, God specifically told them to turn away from their idols. But the people of Israel, they did their own thing. They refused to obey. They just didn't listen to God's warnings. Well, saints, you know, by the way, neither do we. We act the same way towards God. God convicts us of certain areas in our lives, but we don't listen. We continue to worship our own modern idols. We ignore God's warnings to give them up and to come back to him. Well, like the Israelites, there are consequences to our sin. The good news here, saints, is that sin doesn't have to be the last chapter in our story. It doesn't have to define our story. What defines our story is that when we're unfaithful, God is faithful because he can't deny himself. Even in our rebellious moments, we have a father who's faithful to restore us. His final words aren't destruction, but they are restoration. God's final word isn't destruction, but it's restoration. And even in the case of the Israelites, they end up coming out of timeout. God ultimately releases them from exile. 
freed them from the rule of the Babylonians, God restored them as promised. God is a God of restoration. God is faithful to restore. Let's take a deeper look into this truth. If you have your Bibles, open them up. You can, you can follow along with me as I read, or you may also follow along on the wall. I'll read, and you can follow along. Verses 17 through 20. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hands, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. Saints, this is Israel's destruction. Now that's some destruction. What brought Israel to such a place? It was certainly more than throwing a few crayons. Our text today begins with one of my favorite words in Scripture, the word therefore. Whenever we see that word therefore in Scripture, it's our prompt to see what comes before the text. So let's wrap some historical context around these verses. You see, God had been warning Israel of their sin and idolatry for quite some time now. It was long before the separation of south and north. It was long before the evil kings did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Back in Moses' days, the Israelites entered into a covenant relationship with God. They agreed to be obedient to God and loyal to one another. And so God would bless them and make them his treasured possessions. However, if they rebelled and didn't keep the covenant, they would face judgment. Well, it was just days after their deliverance from Egypt, the people began to sin right away. They began complaining against God and even worse, worshiping idols. They continued turning away from God, sinning against them, turning aside to all kinds of false gods, idolatry, immorality. Generations after generations failed to keep the word of God. And then, if it can get even worse, much later in the rebellion, they asked for their own king. They wanted to be like all the other nations, as though God wasn't good enough for them. This was total rejection of the God who loved them, total rejection of the God who delivered them in the first place. I guess they were sort of putting God in time out, doing it their own way. God, take some time out. We'll take another king about now. But God warns the Israelites 
taking another king over them would only enslave them and take everything that they are. Saints, how often do we set God on the sideline? How often do we say, God, I got this one? When it looks like it's not going our way or it doesn't look quite like the way it should, we take the reins. We take control. God, sit it out. Or, like the Israelites, we just simply appoint another king over us. Addiction was king over my life for so many years. Many of you, most of you know that story. For 23 years, addiction ruled over me. Before coming to Pivot 15 years ago, I was convinced that my reality was to be an addict that my life would end in the space of addiction. I saw no possible way out of that dark pit. Just as God had warned the Israelites, addiction enslaved me. And it took everything that I was. You're here today. Addiction may not be the king over your life. But who or what is? Who or what has you replaced for God? Now, if you're unsure of who or what that could be, just ask yourself, what demands the majority of your energy? What demands the majority of your time, your money? What do you treasure over all else? Scripture tells us, for where your treasure is, there so your heart will be also. Who or what have you appointed king? The desire for wealth? Your reputation? Status? Position? Let's speak to king wealth. Is wealth king over your life? King wealth. What is king wealth requiring of you? Is king wealth requiring that you work extra long hours to have more money? Is he requiring that you make work a priority and neglect time with your family? Is king wealth requiring that you evaluate relationships based upon whether they will cost you something. You see, king wealth don't want you to simply be a blessing to someone. King wealth requires that you look at all relationships through a financial prism, not through any moral standard. Perhaps reputation is king. Oh, king reputation. What is king reputation requiring of you? To give self-indulgence the place of worship and lordship in your life? To think of yourself higher than you ought to? To spend time and energy on your social media presence, tracking your likes, posting your achievements, keeping up with the status quo? Saints, an earthly king 
will only enslave you and take everything that you are. Israel's kings didn't have Israel's best interests in mind. They only wanted to enslave them and take all that they were. But nonetheless, God honors their request. And surely, the Israelites experienced a number of bad and evil kings, kings that led to idolatry, kings that led them to sin against God, kings that enslaved them. After years and years of running after false gods and not obeying God's voice, God allows Israel to be conquered. And sadly, they're carried off into captivity. And that text is their destruction. That's time out for Israel. But good news, saints. Story doesn't end here. God's last words are not destruction but restoration. Destruction isn't the end, but God's promises of restoration are. So let's together look a little deeper to see the amazing depth of God's heart for restoration. Follow along with me as I read verses 21 through 22. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Consistent with Israel's disobedience and rebellion, they also failed to keep God's commandment to observe a Sabbath rest for the land. They failed to take care of the land. They failed to take care of the land as God commanded them. You see, God commanded Israel to observe a Sabbath for the land. That is allowing the land to rest every seven years. Resting the land means no pruning, no planting, no tilling, no working the land at all in that seventh year. I read as I was studying this that even today, Resting the land is still a practice of farmers and agriculturalists. By allowing the land to rest, the soil gets restored. It gets revived. It mends itself. The Israelites never allowed the land to rest. Basically, they were destroying the land God gave them. They were destroying the land by their failure to observe God's command. Saints, they denied the land its Sabbath for over 490 years. That's 70 Sabbath years missed. In essence, the Israelites owed the land 70 Sabbath years. They were destroying the land, saints. But again, destruction is not God's final word. But restoration is. To give the land its rest, to restore the land, God takes back those years, sending the Israelites into exile in Babylonia. That's their time out. The land rested for 70 years while the Israelites were in captivity. The text said, all the days the land lay desolate, 
it kept Sabbath. The land rested. Look to your neighbor on the right and say, the land has to rest. Look at your neighbor on the left and say, the soil has to rest. Men of Pivot, the land has to rest. And sometimes God will draw you out of the land in order for the land to rest. While you're here right now, God is restoring the soil in your relationships. God is reviving the soil of your purpose. God is mending the soil of your destiny, your marriage, your household. Just hold on because all things are working for the good. Amen. He's a God of restoration, saints. So we see God's faithfulness in restoring land. How much more faithful would he be to restore his people? Y'all want to go a little deeper? Let's go a little deeper. Follow along with me as I read verses 22 through 23. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also Put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Did you get that first part? The Lord stirs up the spirit of King Cyrus. And King Cyrus makes a proclamation throughout all of his kingdoms, and he even puts it in writing. Cyrus writes, he says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. And whoever is among God's people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. King Cyrus releases the the Israelites, amen. He sends them back to their promised land, back to rebuild their temple. And moreover, King Cyrus proclaims the Lord, the God of heaven, charged him to do it. Since the irony in that is that Cyrus was a pagan king. Cyrus was not a follower of the God of the Bible. Cyrus knew nothing of the God of heaven. But the God of heaven knew Cyrus. God knew Cyrus before he was even born. God had a purpose for Cyrus before he was even conceived. God's plan of restoration was already in motion. You see, 150 years before Cyrus was even born... The Lord prophesied that Cyrus would be the one to release the Israelites from captivity. We read this in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 13. 
I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose. I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and free my captive people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord of heaven's army, have spoken. This is 150 years before Cyrus was born. The Lord called Cyrus. The Lord said that Cyrus would build his city and set his exiles free. Cyrus was God's selected tool for their freedom. All along, it was God's plan to deliver the Israelites, to rescue them from the Babylonian captivity, and to restore them. God's last words are not destruction, but restoration. And it's only God who can take a pagan king to bless his people. But even in this moment of Cyrus, Cyrus's efforts only point to a much better king, a king that would restore all of mankind. Saints, that much better king is Jesus. God sent us a king not to enslave us, but to deliver us and to rescue us. He died so that our sins would be forgiven and that we would no longer be held by the penalty and grips of sin. He's our deliverer. He's our rescuer. He's the better king. Jesus would do a restoration that would not only restore Jerusalem, but would restore all of creation. You are that example of restoration. I am that example of restoration. The pivot men, an example of restoration. I get to see restoration every day. I witness it every day at Pivot. Lives being restored. Families being restored. Relationships being restored. And men, I know sometimes at Pivot you're probably feeling like it's a never-ending timeout for you. Well, <laughs> the land has to rest, brothers. Amen? Amen? You hold on. All things are working together for the good. God is faithful, and he is a God of restoration. Even in our ordinary, everyday lives, we're challenged. Our world is broken. We're at each other's throats. No one knows what's happening. It's a world of uncertainty. We all feel like we're probably in a foreign land right now. But just know God is a God of restoration. He restores. He renews. Even now I'm reminded of Pivot's foundational scripture. It speaks of restoration. It speaks of renewal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. The men are quite familiar with it. Men, would you say it with me? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new 
has come. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.